Welcome back to Lost in Translations. I am joined once again with Derek from Read the World. And we are going to talk about Crime and Punishment by Theodore Dostoevsky. And we read the Oliver Reddy translation. I really liked his translation of it. Let's talk about the translation to begin with. Okay. You read this, what, 20 years ago? 20 years ago, yep. And Do you um, remember any of it? Okay, so my memory before I started this was, and I think, so we're okay with like spoilers and this type of thing because of how old the book is is that yeah, how you feel? It, the book's over 200 years old okay. <laughs> so i remembered of course that we were following a sick person who and this is this is the memory part right so we were following a sick person who committed a murder and then the rest of the thing was like a racking with guilt as he was or was not going to be caught and that he was finding solace with a girl who I th- couldn't tell was maybe a prostitute, maybe not. And then um, I remembered that there was a fairly like redemptive ending in the sense that the punishment was like very light. Um, yeah. And that combined with, so I remembered that part which is just really basic, like, you know, cliff note summary Mm. sentences. And then I remembered that he had a friend who I had a very hard time distinguishing between the main character and the friend because of their names in the first time I read it, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. And I remember being bored in the middle sections, like three, four, five, very very strongly like so if you had asked me you know uh a year ago before we decided to do or six months ago whatever like what are your thoughts on crime and punishment as a book i would say classic of like sort of moral philosophy understand why people like it but not the biggest fan and it's an absolute credit to the translation that my take could not be any different right now (laughs) I think it was about seven or eight years ago I read it. So I, I remember enjoying it, but not. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I did this time around. Like I remember, like I looked at my review from when I read it first time. And you I, had it? I talk, yeah, I, I had a review. Awesome. <laughs> well, I just don't. It I doesn't didn't... say much. It doesn't. It's oh. like when you go, you go back and it's like, come on, why didn't I put more thought into this? Why didn't I write more about this? It was like glossing over. It's like, oh, there's some philosophical, there's some existential, <laughs> nothing really solid. But I talk mainly about, you know, how he was conflicted and how he's feeling the moral kind of aspect of it mm-hmm. and the class aspect of it which i think i didn't quite understand the first time around 
because when I talked about it as a class, like looking at class issues, I don't think I really understood that this Romanovsky is really doesn't understand his own class. Like he thinks he's this um, high class person that people should respect. But he's a school, well, he's an ex student struggling to live, no concept of money. And I don't think I picked that up for the first time around. I definitely did. And in fact, I didn't, I mean, I picked that up this time, but you, ex- you just said it very well in a way that like kind of crystallizes it. Like that, that's right. Like there is one element that I, liked this time was I caught some of the humor that I think I didn't before. And so mm. for instance, like what you were just saying, he has written an article. Like that's the one thing he's done as a student. He <laughs> yeah. wrote an article about moral philosophy. And I definitely remember thinking well, the first time around that that was like a very critical part of the story this time around, mm. I actually thought that the investigator was making fun of him. Like, oh yeah, you know. And I don't, I didn't get that the first. <laughs> but this time, it's like really clear that that because we are mostly following. And is it okay if I call him Roja? I mean, that's like the <laughs> yeah, Roja, Roja. Okay, because that's the only way I can do it. So. You know, we're following Raja, and so Raja is our hero, but he's clearly like an anti-hero. And, mm. you know, I definitely this time caught the vibe that the investigator was, in fact, smarter, <laughs> you know what I mean, than, yeah. than him, and was and was laughing at him a, a, a bit, you know, and in trying to pull out a confession by going to this article, not mm. super interested in his moral philosophy. So that that's a really good point about his class because I mean I think even while we were reading it I I made mention to you once about like I keep noticing this provincial versus Petersburg thing <laughs> like it was just yeah. really obvious now like oh okay we're going to lay in like the difference between the capital you know urban and rural and I think I told you like it is crazy to me how old the book is and how relevant that still is now at yeah. least here in america i mean politically that's that's our divide you know so that was cool <laughs> i think oliver reddy did a really good job of like i think he did a really good job of like making it feel more like a recent novel but still making it feel a little dated i think that helped me with the reading normally i don't like they're too modern, but I think he just added some phrases in there that people would recognize. So I thought the biggest strength, and it was one of the few notes I wrote down of his translation, was <laughs> I don't recall, and again, 20 years, but I don't recall being able to distinguish between voices very well mm. in previous translation. Um, yeah. And here I felt like I could. And so one of the things about Russian literature and actually that, that book, the book of Anna that we read both read this year, one thing I think she did a really good job of is a lot of times there's like five or six people talking at once in a very 
um, loud, like sort of absurdist atmosphere. You know, it's kind of like a theater or a play at, at times. And when you don't, when you can't distinguish the voices and when the names are, I mean, frankly, him and his best friend's name looks exactly the same, like as you're reading it, you know, it can, it yeah. can be like kind of hard, but here, what I thought Reedy did so well is he, he gave the dialogue like a, a new, like sort of spice of life where I really felt the difference, you know, the dialogue mm. of Raja was morose throughout. It was whiny and grimy throughout, you know, and um, there was always in Ross, the, the friend that I'm messing up. Um, does he have a short name I can use? Let's see. I um, forget. They did have a short name for him. Forget it. Dimitri Rasmukian. So for Rasmukian, who's his friend that is... Yeah. Um, that is trying to help him, but also inadvertently, you know, kind of throws him to the wolves. Um, and is also in love with his sister as everyone in the, every male in the book is, but um, he is so optimistic always in his dialogue. His dialogue is always so like, that's right. We'll get him, you know? And like, and so anyway, I was just able to distinguish between the two and in particular, you know, just, mentioned her but i thought the sister's character was done so so well and and and, and that's probably just dostoevsky in, in general and me not yeah. remembering it the first time but on this reading that was one of my biggest takeaways was the sister was complex the sister was actually smart in the way that i think her brother like wished that he was you know and yeah absolutely do you think because we read it too close to his age, we kind of miss the whole purpose of the book because we probably maybe too angsty and too emo to really. <laughs> yes. And I also think that the way I read books 20 years ago, I was not a very sophisticated reader. And so for me, I knew what an anti-hero was, but I still like instinctually would follow that character's thread and like assume that that character was being used by the author as the stand-in for whatever philosophy he wanted to say or do or whatever. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I think I thought of anti-heroes as just flawed people and not as the antithesis of what is actually, yeah. you know, of whatever philosophy. So I, I do think that one of the difficulties of crime punishment as I got older in this time is that it is kind of a scene based work. Like you move scene to scene to scene and not Ooh. so much character based in the sense that like you're not supposed to fall in love with any of the characters like all of the characters to me feel like they serve their purpose in moving the story from you know a to b to c but like don't get fooled into thinking that one character has like the secret to unlocking the, the book or unlocking the philosophy like they are much more like tools at Dostoevsky's arsenal than they are like someone's interior monologue to follow 
Yeah. You mentioned that the first time you read it, like part five, but that you didn't, you struggled through. I think this mm-hmm. time, I, I think part five was my standout. Part and that was five the was your with, Yeah, you, that was the theme with Sonia mm-hmm. and um, just her struggle with that guy. What was his name? So he is Svid Svid Regalov. That's how I can pronounce it. Oh, it's true. Okay, yeah. (laughs) We don't speak Russian, obviously. So I'm going to have to have my apologies on that. Um, But he is the um, sort uh, so he's the one who's like a a landowner from their province who's come into the capital after. Maybe killing his wife. Definitely his wife is dead. Most likely it was at his hands. <laughs> yeah. And and he's another one that is um on the sly come to um to take uh Raj's sister. sister. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was the most interesting because we we stepped away from Roger and we're like focusing on her mm-hmm. and focusing on his uh, like trying to set him up and getting imprisoned and stuff like that. That's interesting. Yeah. So that wasn't my favorite section, but what I did Mm -hmm. like about that section this time is exactly what you just said about focusing away from him, because that's the first time I feel like we really realized that there is a lot of important plot action that we have not been shown through 400 pages Ooh. and it's happening behind the scenes. It's this person coming into town. It is what the investigator is actually doing, like as opposed yeah. to what Roger like thinks in his head, you know, so that was neat mm-hmm. to zoom back to take a different, like uh, you know, to put your, to place your camera in a different place and see that the, the maniacal like obsessive internal dialogue is not Ooh. actually the story. Like that's kind of a distraction from the story. But my favorite uh, section this time, I'll make sure I get the right one, is going to be right when his family gets there. And you get, and I'm trying to see if it's three. I think it's three. I think it's three. I that's think it's I, three. Yeah, I think it's three. And so right when his family, uh, mother and sister, arrive in... Um, in Petersburg, everything to me just comes together. So he's got his friend come over. His friend is another one that becomes smitten immediately with his sister. And uh, we've got this character, the fiance who wants to uh, basically pull them out of poverty, but with a lot of conditions, you know, and uh, I think kind of wants to like rule their life. And, and and so he's, uh, so he's already hated by, by Raja, you know, and yeah. And then, and then Raja is during at this exact moment, like in the midst of the most gripping anxiety about like, am I going to get away with this, with this murder? So I liked when all the elements kind of came together and um, the, the, the mother character was really, really well done in this, in, in uh, you know, book and in this translation where she was, uh, willing to go along with anything so long as her boy was happy. And it was like very funny, you know, like, um, yeah. whereas I said, the sister was so sharp. And so I think that's why that was my favorite section because she really shines through and like brings 
it's almost like you feel insane those first couple of sections because you're like in his head in his head yeah that's exactly right yeah you feel insane because you're in his head and he's going insane and then when the sister shows up it's the first kind of like rational person (laughs) you know and so i really liked that section the most Mm. i have a i have a question for you on the murder so do you think there's ever a satisfactory answer to why he wants to do this? I actually don't want there to be one because there's that blend of it kind of being premeditative and kind of being spontaneous. So you've got the little bit of a conflict with the two aspects. And if you fill in that part of it, it takes that away, I think. I like that. I like that idea of like the contradiction, you know, but or the tension between those two. Yeah, because because this time one thing I noticed was that so much of the reasoning happens afterwards. So it feels Ooh, yeah. like he's creating it, you know, like he's deciding, you know, like for instance, I, I mentioned that article. So he writes an article as an undergrad, and one of the sort of key points of the article is that. Um, figures like Napoleon or Genghis Khan or whatever, these huge figures throughout history, they kill, you know, hundreds of thousands or whatever. And then they get statues, you know, they're, they're great men. And that he in his thesis is essentially saying that laws are laws, wherever you're at, do not apply to these great men, you know? So the investigator is kind of, he uses it as a way to, to kind of chide him and say, do you think you're one of these great men, you know? Um, and it, it, is that why you did this thing? And at first, like he doesn't seem to buy into that. It's like, he sort of doesn't denounce the article, but he denounces like that as being his philosophy. Well then mm-hmm. by the end, he is talking directly about like Napoleon and, you know, I couldn't even do it. I couldn't even go through with the actual theft because, of course, he gets nothing from it, you know. And so it's like yeah. he—it's like he's so insane that he has, throughout what other people have told him about why he might have done it, he's internalized that by the end to say, yes, that, that may, perhaps that is why I did it. So I do like that idea yeah. of tension, you know, because in a way, like the book kind of starts – in medias ray or whatever you know, the term is like in terms of his psychology, we don't see what it is that like broke him down to this yeah. point where he's like grabbing an ax, you know, just having that ambiguity kind of plays with the philosophical aspects of the book. I feel like Dostoevsky is chucking a whole heap of ideas at you and never really telling you what he believes. It's like, here's some ideas Work it out for yourself. <laughs> and I don't know if I got that the first time. This time it's like I struggle to work out what are the philosophical ideas. And like, because there's a lot of them, just trying to break them apart it can be quite difficult. So I took the first time I definitely remember thinking there must be some overarching philosophical theme here. And I just missed what that is, you know, and that it has to do with moral philosophy. And I was like thinking, 
I must have just kind of missed it, you know, which is fine. Like there's some text where you need to read other text or you need it to be taught yeah. or, or whatever. This time, and I could still be wrong, but this time I came <laughs> away thinking, here's somebody writing at a time where there's so much change in philosophy, in science, yeah. in the economy that he really is kind of showing you how confusing it all is. Like, like exactly what you kind of say where it's like a ton of ideas thrown out. I think that that's meant to show you like how like this particular moment is extremely complex and difficult to navigate just as a person, you know, like I didn't come away with it thinking that there was any kind of. It's a, yeah, and I don't think that there was supposed to be now that you know no. after the read. I, I don't think that was the point. I think it was just to show you like these are all the things that this modernity, you know, this contemporary time is is wrestling with. And it's neat reading it now because some of those answers do kind of come about, you, you know, or at least we trend a certain way. I was trying to think of one of the I, I had an example in my head of one of the philosophies that oh um the punishment itself. So one of the things that is kind of once it's clear that the investigator knows that he's done it, there's a lot of talk about like if you confess, it'll be a light sentence and everything. Mm. And the book, I mean the book is called Crime and punishment and what's so interesting is that the punishment part of course is his internal punishment okay and and you can get that pretty early on but there still does have to be like a bureaucratic and political process where he is punished for this heinous crime and it's interesting that like that part is so light it's so small in terms of the book and he really is given, I think it's seven years or something, you know, in a pretty fine prison <laughs> situation. I mean, especially for someone like him who was like, Oh, they feed me at this time. And that, yeah. So anyway, like it, uh, it did seem to say, um, you know, and I don't know if Dostoevsky believed this, but it did seem to say that the internal guilt and the shame was its own punishment or was the punishment? And I just think that we have moved very, very far away from that. You know, I was talking about when we did our live um, stream on YouTube with Dan on satire that like we've moved past shame, you know, and like I kind of connect it to that where it's like, no, now, I mean, there are that idea that you would be so, um, guilt stricken feels a little old to me. Like that feels mm. a little like that is not the time that we live in. Yeah. I think the first time I read it, it was all about the existential, definitely exploring that breakdown. But this time around, it's like, there are so many other characters playing a big part in the book that I completely forgot about. You got the crime, you got the existentialism. And then you've got everything else, which is practically most of the book. Yeah. And I don't know why I forgot all that. (laughs) (laughs) I did too. I think it has something to do with the translation bringing those other characters to to life. I mean, 
Yeah, I really do. I think that the differentiation, particularly in dialogue, like really helped, you know, the, the pages felt alive, you know, and it really mm -hmm. felt, and, and back to what you said too, about like a little bit modernizing the language, like certainly helps, you know, like you kind of um, become attached in those other storylines because you're right. I mean, the, the existential dread part is one part really. You know, I mean, yeah. and it's kind of, that's, I'm not going to say boring, but it's, it plays out. Predictable. And, it's predictable. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Like the language is great. It's fun to be in his head. He's crazy, but it is pretty yeah. predictable, you know? And then what, what really turns it for me is once, is once the investigator shows up and once his friend shows up, it's those <laughs> other characters that what they and it's not what they draw out of him because he's so mad at this point. Like, you know what I mean? Ooh. He's so lost, but it's what, um, it's how they respond to him. That, that is so interesting. Like they're different methods for, you know, I mentioned the mother who is just like kind of the falling at the feet of, okay, everything's fine, you know? And, and then the friend who like wants to make everything upbeat, you know, and, oh, we can get past this. Ooh. Oh, look, he's feeling better. But then the investigator who wants to play games like throughout and he wants yeah. to he wants to give Raja a chance to um, be that uh, uber intelligent you know, philosopher that he thinks he is. And by doing so is going to prove that he is not of that, that he is just a murderer. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I did. I definitely agree that it was the other characters that kind of shone through. Yeah, I think for this time it was there was a moment. I think it was in part three, maybe it was in part two, where he's walking the streets and he runs into the girl being chased by some random man, and he helps her out. And I think that was the start of where the book got interesting for me. We're taking away from his stuff, and we're starting to explore other people. Yeah, his reaction to it. Yeah, I like that. And then he does, you know, he does. It's not his first. I mean, it's not his last sort of good deed either. You know, as he gives, yeah. uh, as he gives some money to to Sonya, uh, or I, I think he actually gives the money to Sonya's caretaker. Um, but but, mm. he, but he, either way, he, he gives yeah. some money for a funeral. I um, think. On, yeah, he gave it to the wife. He gave it to the wife. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for the funeral, and that other guy was trying to claim that it was because he was trying to um, court the woman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was for the funeral because he felt bad for them, and yeah, he gave so, away all his money there. So it's interesting that both of those things are external things he sees that that bring him sadness. Right. So, I mean, one of them is, I mean, one of them is a, is a death, you know, I mean, obviously that's sad, but the other one was just someone down on her luck and I'm doing well. I think she was like stumbling around if I could. Recall. Yeah. 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 And so in both instances, he, he shows this humanity there by, by being outside. And so part, when I was reading some of that this time, I, I thought back to that, like, how has he been for the past, like, basically since he quit university and I really got this yeah. sense of him in his apartment, you know, becoming emaciated and 
and just depression, well, like sinking, dwelling and sinking in. And I did like how there was something there that said, like, go outside, like be around people. <laughs> so what Dostoevsky said is don't be introverted, always be extroverted. <laughs> I think he's just saying that this particular band, once he got into his own head, like there was, it was a bad place yeah. to be. <laughs> yeah. And like you said, I mean, I think, I mean, I really think the first one of the first things you said on this is it stuck with me. I don't, I'm not articulated it yet. So it's been that simply, but his not understanding the class that that really is critical. And I, and I hadn't really, and mm. also like him not understanding as well like how other people like he he genuinely believed that uh, the fact that he had gone to university for a little bit was enough of a credential to open doors to people who were born into a different class who had gone Ooh. to university who had high ranking positions you know whereas he really is I mean, still just kind of a failed, you know, young man from from a provincial town. Like he's he's sort of irrelevant to the machinations Ooh. of Petersburg politics, but he he's blind to that. He's just a teenage boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much of like you know, these classic literatures are, are teenage boy <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, I relate. I I went through that stage, yeah, of my life. I didn't want to take an axe, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, I probably did. <laughs> but I'm not going to admit to any crimes on this podcast. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> Had you read any Dostoevsky other than Crime and Punishment? Yes, I have. I've read notes from the underground, which I think he wrote just before Crime and Punishment, which I need to reread because I do not like those translators, so I need to find a better translation of it. Well, I but would definitely do that I, with you because I read that one and re- recall liking it more than Crime mm-hmm. and Punishment before this read. I like yeah, it. We'll, we'll have to find out what translation you read, though. Yeah, and <laughs> Actually, I still and own it that is shorter. <laughs> it, it is shorter. I just remember I am a sick, I am a sickly man. I am, a, you know, the first two lines yeah. kind of grabbing you from. Um, but I remember liking being in that uh, narrator's head, who is kind of, I think, probably a, an early archetype for for who this, you know, who yeah. it's going to become. You know, it's definitely yeah. someone still uh, on the precipice of madness. But that's all I've read. Uh, Have you read anything else? Yeah. Uh, I read Brothers Karamazov. Was it wow. last year or the year before? It was really good. I want Oliver ready to translate that because I definitely want to read his translation of it. So which translation did you read? Yeah, it was um, Constant Garnett, which is like, you know, early 1900s translation of it. So okay, not the best. So I have my, problems with her translations. So my understanding of her is that she literally would take out things she thought were naughty. Is that yeah, right? Is she, she that- she'll, she'll censor. 
if it if there's something too sexy or too risque for her, she okay. won't translate that part. She well, would skip over that. Okay. Well, that, I have a real problem with that. I mean, <laughs> so it looks oh, like the good stuff. <laughs> so it looks like we've got the uh, the the Peaver and Volohansky from 1990, yeah. as, you'd, as you'd imagine. Uh, but then we have a, a 1993 David McDuff. I'm looking to see what else. David he's McDuff got. is really good. His translation of Crime and Punishment is really good. Okay, so maybe that's yeah, maybe that's the. Oh, God, we just wait for Oliver Reddy. And or we just wait. That's right. Um, I think we looked, and he's he's fairly young, right? So he's got time. Yeah, like he's got so, time to do. Like I, I don't want him just to do Dostoevsky. Let him do other Russian classics. No, I mean I want to read really War and Peace. I've never read War and Peace, <laughs> so do it. That is a great book. Yeah, definitely read that. I'm gonna read for Oliver. <laughs> True. Um, I'd like to see him do some uh, for Gakoff as well, maybe yeah. Master of Margarita. But I've got a really good um, translation of that book anyway by Hugh Aplund. So if you need a good translation of for Gakoff, he's definitely worth checking out. Because I think so he I, does similar sort of thing, you like kind of make it feel more relevant for the time. Yeah. Okay, he's got you know, Crime and Punishment is really his um his sort of biggest book. You know, as I'm looking through his mm. translation, and and by that I don't mean uh, wait, <laughs> I just mean um you know it, it seems to be the only like certifiable classic. You know, huge. That he's done, and I hope that this is doing well enough, like you know, in academic circles that study it, and also like you know, when it comes to just buying the book, um, to where because I, you know, this is the kind of translation that I, I really hope this is taught here. Crime and punishment is taught in uh, usually like in an AP, so like in a, a senior year honors course, it would be taught, and. Um, these are the kinds of translations I hope are, are taught so that there is injecting some, some modernity into it. Cause it's just more fun to read, you know, like too many people yeah. are turned off by, I mean, I remember Beowulf was the first thing that we had to read that was like a serious lich. I mean, and I mean, what are you going to do with that? If you're 16 years old, you're going to start to hate literature. And I'm not yeah. saying I hate, you know, but I mean, I, I just, that's like one of the things that's one of the big pet peeves because, you know, high school, I, I don't know. So is it called high school in, in Australia or do y'all do the uh, secondary school or whatever? It's okay. We call it high school. <laughs> high school. Okay. Well, so high school sucks. It's the worst time. Um, so if you're yeah. younger and listening to this, it's the worst time. And I hated it. <laughs> and the, the like. I look back though, and we read some some good books, and I just want there to be like these newer, sort of fresher translations that you're reading, so that you can you know find a little bit of solace and a little bit of fun in what is a, a shitty time. <laughs> but that's a extremely weird um, tangent. Mm, yeah, also people to read is weird. <laughs> 
I mean, I would, I would love to learn crime and punishment with a teacher. Yeah, maybe like, but that's because I'm interested in it. It wouldn't be that way when I was in high school. That's yeah, and that's a problem. Like now, I would love to audit like a class of you know somebody who's really great at literary criticism, really mm-hmm. great at literary theory. You know, when I went to. So I went to college uh, much later in life. Like I didn't finish my college degree until two years ago, but the very first time that I went to college when I was 18, 19, I went for um, creative writing and for, and for English. So I was in those classes, right? Where we're reading that stuff and all of it came down to like, we'd read a William Faulkner book or something. And then you'd be like, okay, what does this thing symbolize? What does that thing symbolize? Like that was the entirety Mm. of looking at a text as if everything that's written has to be like an analogy or a metaphor or a symbol for something else, you know, Mm. whereas like what's way more fun and interesting is like what we've done tonight where you're talking about like how these characters are, uh, you know, so well written that they do things that feel real you know what i mean and 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 that there is like an actual the text is alive there's an actual beating heart and a story in it as opposed to always trying to find like little tricks the author did i'm really not interested when it comes to like literary stuff in in that kind of like um, analysis where it's oh this is really cool the way he wrote and maybe that's why I I love you know translated literature because you have another artist coming along and um, working with the text does, does that make sense you know yeah. what I mean like yeah oh so yeah it's, so it's not I'm always working sorry you're I'm always already trying to think which translation of Crime and Punish will, will I read next time. That's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, don't know awesome. what that'll be, but I'd like to think, oh, I need to read some of those translations out there. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, we should find some shorter ones that you can do like more back-to-back to compare mm-hmm. because Crime yeah. and Punishment, is, it's, it's tough because you're not going to read it you know, right after but then years go by, and it's um, at least for this, we'll have the, po- the podcast for posterity's sake. But yeah. um, well, you, you need know. to write down your thoughts as well. You do, yeah, you do. Because I remember when, like, when we did a live thing, it's like, oh, I mentioned Candide. It's like, oh shit, I don't remember anything about it. I can't talk yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's and I think I had yeah I had similar thoughts with Vengeance is mine. All others pay cash. It's like it's been so long. I don't have a review on it, so I can't refresh my mind on what I thought. But when I came to Crime and Punishment, it's like I have a review on this from 2012 when I read it, so I can go read what I thought then. Complain about my old school writing style. (laughs) <laughs> and complained that I didn't put enough inf- information in, but I still got an s- idea of what I thought. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, that, and I mean, what you're talking about happens a lot whenever we do like those live things where we're around a theme. Is that you'll see for me, like it's 
a lot of times stuff I've read in the last three years because that's yeah. what I remember. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, and the other, th- you know, the one, the thing you mentioned our life thing is, is because I cheated and stole your um, answer. Yeah. <laughs> Vengeance. Uh, sorry. Uh, what was it called? Death of a translator. Re- Revenge or death? Revenge of a translator. Yeah. Revenge of a translator. That was the one I had prepared. It's like, yes, I want yeah. to talk about this book. <laughs> and then you stole it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, uh, I, I need, next time I prepare, I'm going to have three books ready just in <laughs> case you and all Dan steals the choice. Well, I don't think, I mean, I can't think of one that would be as hard, though, as that one we did, just because, like, I think we all kind of realize that we don't really read that much satire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, most of the books I read and you read, too, are pretty serious, pretty heavy stuff. <laughs> it was fun to talk about. It's an interesting topic because I think people don't understand the idea of satire, so it was fun to talk about. Well, and we were reading this crime and punishment during that. And so it was, it was kind of interesting because there are some satirical elements in crime and punishment. Yeah. Now we couldn't talk about it then because we were planning on what well, we're going to do this podcast later and we weren't going to like, you know, prime <laughs> each other. Spoiler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but um, I thought uh, I kind of alluded to it, but I thought the, the investigator specifically the scene where we're, Roger comes in to the, we'll just call it the police station. It's a different name because it's Russia 200 years ago. But, you know, it it comes into the uh, police station to have this one-on-one meeting with the investigator. And what Roger wants out of it incredulously is, I want you to either arrest me or clear my name. Like, he needs this, like, certainty either way, which is really funny, like, that idea. Um, so anyway, like, like an innocent person, whatever, like, I'm sure there's an unsolved murder in my town right now. Like, can you imagine if I just like drove to the police station and was like, my name is Derek Maine and, um, you either need to clear me or <laughs> anyway, like only a guilty person would do this. So, uh, the whole thing seemed that whole scene, which was great. And there's people um, hidden. He's got secret witnesses hidden behind <laughs> the, uh, in the closet that, that he's about to bring yeah. out. And the whole thing <laughs> seems really satirical on the concept of like um, what you imagine an investigation is going to be like, but through <laughs> the head of a sick and depraved person, you know, versus like the reality and the investigator, as I was reading it at first, I was like, oh man, he like is really wordy and obtuse and what's going on until I realized that the investigator in real time was satirizing the subject. <laughs> yeah, that was I really great. liked the way he played with it. Like he was really playing with that. And it's like, oh, look, let's check behind this door. Oh, we've got yeah. a witness. And it was great because then towards the end, when he really you know, arrests him, it's a very short scene. And instead of playing games, you know, he's like, oh, no, it, I knew it was always you. you know, like, and there's like this like, sad yeah. moment. Why is he finding the arrest thing? 
<laughs> and he's like, he's like, why did you let me wander around? And he's like, ah, I don't know. You weren't going to go anywhere. He was just harmless. Like, you know, it was just so funny because it was like, we were in this other head. So we were really like wondering, you know, as readers, okay, this, this guy must be really taken with Roger. And meanwhile, it's like, no, he's just making fun of him brutally. <laughs> so yeah, I love that. There was some really good satire there. And then the other satirical element I've hinted at a couple times because I love the sister, but I like how every man that meets the sister is like instantly in love. <laughs> instantly instantly willing to do whatever so we've got uh the sort of rich lawyer uh who's the fiance who wants to basically buy her love you know and she'll Ooh. give the brother a job uh, and then uh we've got the uh, kind of landowning you know guy from their province Ooh. who has secretly come in yeah. and he and he's trying to to win her love through like an extremely complicated scheme. And then um, the friend uh, Raz, whatever it is, who um, immediately is, is taken with her. And, yeah. wants to, and so anyway, these like trail of suitors was another thing that I thought did a really good job sort of satirizing uh, the, I uh, how bad all these men were at relationships, like personal relationships. You know what I mean? Like none of them seem desirable. Like, and, and they all are, have a higher class station than her. Um, but they don't have that other thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the ability for somebody to actually want to be with you. The question is that satire or is that just how men are in everything? Well, I think I think my answer, the serious answer, I think that it is satire because I think that most good satire should tell you exactly how something is. Do you know what I mean? And now mm. in 2020, that's way more accepted. But was that mm. accepted in saying in Russia in what year is it? I would never even looked. Um, it was 1866, I think. Okay. So we're coming up on two. So, yeah. So 1866 Russia, is that, I mean, I don't know that answer. Like I would have to know so much more about like the social history of Russia at that time, but I'm going to go on, I'm going to go on a limb and guess that it's not as prevalent for you to make fun of, you know, men in this way, which it definitely does. But making fun of men at any time is fun. <laughs> it's not always a um, it's not, not always acceptable though to the to the <laughs> you know broader culture. But yeah, I think this was like the start of Russia changing. Like they try to step away from the uh, monarchy and moving towards a more communist idea. So there's a lot of political change happening, and that kind of plays out in the book. Yeah, and another thing to piggyback on that is that there's mentions of America in the book a few times about going to America. Um, so one of the escape routes that Raja has um, potentially yeah. by way of that of that provincial landowner is to go to America, and it's kind of made fun of. I thought it was very interesting, you know, but, but it, it's seen as like this kind of, 
it struck me as being seen as this kind of like laughable place and just like, Oh my God, that's a ridiculous thing to do. Like who wants to go to America, you know? And actually there was a footnote. Um, I don't know. I didn't read all the footnotes, but the translator did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah. Explaining a few different things. Like for instance, one of them was father, um, he uses father Ooh. throughout and explains that, listen, this doesn't, don't think of it like the father. It's yeah. just a, you know, it, it, and then there was another one about uh, cigarettes where there was a weird word for cigarettes. And he was like, oh, we're going to keep this. Um, but anyway, I can't yeah. find, I can't find the America thing. I thought I had whatever, but anyway, he explained like how America was seen um, during that time, and so why this would have been like a total joke. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I really liked that. The it's twenty twenty. It's still said as a joke. I mean, oh no, we got it. We're we're um we're got we've got it all worked out. We're <laughs> um yeah. So I can't find that. But um, the did you ever? You know, if if you're at all interested in Russia in that time, did you ever listen to Mike Duncan's podcast Revolutions? Or heard no, of it? I need to listen to it. Yeah, I've so, got yeah. it somewhere. I think, and it's one of those ones. It's like one day I'm going to listen to this. He has. I think you recommended it. I think I probably did because I love it, and, and he hasn't done it in a while. But he has a whole one on the Russian Revolution, and um, I don't think there's. A, I mean, it's the single best like history series I remember. But it does start around this time because it's talking about like, okay, you have a you have a czar, a czar you know, and this traditional political system, but all of a sudden, all of these political ideas are kind of coming to the forefront. And that's just, you know, that's the very tip of the iceberg. And then it goes into, you know, the, you know, into the different strands of Marxism and where they go and everything. And it's fascinating overall, but I definitely thought about that. You read this book and you can definitely see even if you don't know anything about Russian history, that they are at a precipice. Like they are at a point where decision needs to be made as to where they are going. And we now know like where they went and how complex that is. Um, But I think that Russia in general, especially now, like they're like, it's a little bit like of a laughing stock when it comes to political. And I really appreciated how this showed like how many ideas are bursting at the Ooh. seams in their intellectual community. Ooh. And I mean, Dostoevsky ran a, you know, a political literary journal with his brother. Like this is not, you know, just, I, I, don't, I appreciated like seeing that side of Russia as opposed to today Ooh. thinking of it as, you know, Putin's little playhouse or whatever it is we're supposed to <laughs> think of it as. I don't know if we're going to get canceled for that. <laughs> Can't we mention Trump's little playhouse and just even it out? <laughs> They're probably the same person, like controlled by like some <laughs> Wizard of Oz <Yeah>. type thing. <laughs> we, we talked a while for this, so we might wrap it up. But yeah. let's quickly I want wanna ask you, do you think this book was too long? Because the way that he writes was He's got. It was part of a serial, and he was getting paid by the word. So he. Do you think that was overdone? Or okay, so I think that obviously this was the form of entertainment. 
in this time, yeah. you know? And mm-hmm. I actually was telling my wife as I was reading it that I liked the way that we broke it up. We did about 150 pages a week and then and then Ooh. let ourselves read other stuff yeah. after after we had hit our 150. I said because not it that fe- we did. <laughs> yeah, not that we did. <laughs> or not that we liked what we read. But uh, yeah, because we were reading it up against this. But yeah, I, I, I told my wife, I said, I really like doing it this way because I kind of imagine it as kind of like a radio show that comes out once a week or i mean even tv when we were growing up nowadays like there's not even that you know what i mean um so i okay for me today if it's written they're too it's too long okay i think that an editor is going to go through is going to take a couple storylines out and is also going to say okay you've made your point about how crazy he is now we can take out five to six scenes, you know? So yes, I think an editor is going to cut about 200 pages and my copy is, uh, okay. My copy's 500. I'll say a cut. I'll say an editor takes out one to one fifty. There's two, you can't pick up too much, but, um, I really, really am getting to a place where in the last two years I was really into novels and shorter stuff and I find myself taking a different direction right now where I really want to read big books because Ooh. I really like the fact that it gives you time and space to like really just be with a character. And I liked that aspect of reading this a whole lot. Like even during times that were slow or whatever, like I still felt like I was in the midst of this really epic tale and it felt good and I liked it. So as a reader, I just happened to right now be really into the idea of big books and especially the way we did it. Um, And actually I, you know, I was looking at my shelf of big books I haven't done and thinking, all right, what can I buddy read next with someone? Cause the buddy read part really helps. Like having an oh, exact, having an exact number to be like, okay, I'm going to hit this, you know? And I used, so I started um, on Monday mornings is when I would start. And I was so excited. Like the first break I would have from work, I would sit here and just like go right into it, you know? So I liked that aspect of it, but I think it's because I treated it like a serial. If I had read it straight through, I do think I'd probably tell you I thought it was too long, but I didn't do that. I let myself like, you know, be excited to pick it up that next day. What do you think? Or that next week? I agree. I think the way we read it was right mm-hmm. for this kind of book. And like trying to think what that would take out, they'd probably take out all the other characters. And I think that would really limit what he was doing and what was going on. Well, I think just from an editorial perspective, you, you, I think you'd take out the Savin, the, the the landlord, you know, guy because he ends up not playing a role in him being caught. Yeah, um, you know, he ends up like what what he really does is he comes into the picture where out of nowhere, when actually when we think he might get away with it, this like yeah. random person comes up to him and knows something about the crime. And that random person turns out to be that guy. So it does provide some narrative tension and a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end of one of the sections, but that's really the only like purpose as far as like moving the plot forward and all those like, yeah. you know, all those sort of like story concept ideas. 
Otherwise, uh, he doesn't really do a whole lot, I don't think, in terms of the plot. But again, you lose him as a character and uh, you just lose part of the fun of this world. And that's what I mean about the big books is that like, throw me in a world. Give me some weird minor characters. He might have killed his wife. (laughs) (laughs) I do struggle with reading big books, so I need to do more. But there have been some great big books that I really loved, like Underworld, which I love. I love Underworld. I I need. I mean, I've I've said this before on a different time we've talked, but I need to read Gravity's Rainbow. That's a big book I've, that I've never Ooh. never never been able to do. Um, and maybe that I'll do that with you. <laughs> if you're down, I would I would love to do it. I mean, although it 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 does, we're gonna get in trouble with our. You know, it's gonna hurt our brand if we start reading these. Uh, yeah, American books. <laughs> These American <Jeez>. books. <laughs> I mean, that's a Thomas Pynchon is as old white man as you can get. <laughs> that's true. Uh, we'll have to rotate. We'll do a big translation, then a big other. Do book. you do you have a big translation that is? You know, I mentioned War and Peace. Do you have one that you, you haven't hit that you kind of think about and you're like, oh, that's one I should mm. do? I probably have a few. The first one I could think of was called Catholic School. Oh, I've never heard of that. Know that one. No. It's an Italian book. You know, I have. I think Italian might be like my least read um, of like the major European, you know, languages as far as. 1620 oh my god you were not kidding about it being a big book okay 1620 wow that is a big version okay this is i have no doubt why you would the catholic school creates a world of power sex violence and the threat of masculinity of the power wielded and misused by men in groups yeah that sounds like yeah why do you think i want to read it yeah yeah that's that not sound interesting, but it's no. like the, I think the edition I've got's like twelve hundred pages. Okay, okay. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a big book, and I do want to read it because it sounds really interesting. My wife's a Catholic, so I need some ammunition. I mean, <laughs> I need my wife. My wife more. is my wife is also a Catholic. That's interesting. So I did. I did not grow up Catholic either. So the first time that I went to like mass with her family and parents, I was I was at a total loss. But anyway, um, one for me is you mentioned vengeance. Um, is mine? Yeah. Yes. Beauty is a wound. Yes. Yeah, so I have beauty is a wound, and I yeah. think that's one. I mean, that's a history of a whole country. So that's that's one for me. That's that's newer that uh, I should hit up. I think I've got that as an ebook somewhere. Uh, I, we don't say ebook on this. <laughs> that's okay. I, I'm I'm shortly gonna Ooh. just have to get there if my eyes don't start improving. <laughs> yeah, I really struggle with ebooks, but it's so convenient. It's like bam, I've got the book. <laughs> it's so convenient, and it's just, frankly, it's the cost. Like, you know, I mean, it really is just so much if you don't care about keeping it right like then it's just so much more inexpensive i could out of my library right now take out any single ebook for as Mm. you know 
long as I want. Like we have a really good system with that. And so it, it, I do think I need to like probably start moving to that in some ways because I look at my book budget and I spend too much money on books. Yeah. So I don't have a great e-library with my library, but I'm subscribed to Scribd, which is a ebook like library thing where you can hire, uh, like read any book on there. And I think I do most of my crime books that way now because okay. I don't need a copy of the book. Once I've read it, I'm not going to read it again. That's a great point. Yeah, like any of those, like, yeah, any of those, John McDonald or Ross that we've mm-hmm. talked about before, like, yeah, you can mm-hmm. just read it and be happy with it and, and not need it. Um, yeah. Well, this was fun, and it was a lot of fun to read it this way. Um, we should definitely pick, yeah. pick another, you know, classic translation buddy read and do it again. I mean, we don't even have to do it for a podcast or anything, but just yeah. talking about the book afterwards is a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, we put everything on the internet because we're, we're like that, but it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> it, it, you know it starts that way it's like uh but i also think that's what makes the conversations interesting too is that you know if mm. you are interested in crime punishment and thinking about your know, new translation like you're really just listening to like you know two friends talk about a book they read do you know what i mean as opposed to it being yeah. uh you know so uh I don't know, so structured you know like i like the unstructuredness of it yeah that that was my aim for the podcast is just let's have a conversation about a book. It's a good way to practice talking about a book and you don't have to stick to a format. You just have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Can I ask yeah. you, can we end this podcast by me asking you just one Australia question? I'm fascinated with Australia. It's all I want. Okay. Can no, you cannot one? move. <laughs> Yeah, you get. really want to move. Okay, so my question is: Does Australia and New Zealand is there a uh, competitiveness there between these two countries? Oh, absolutely. Okay, are so are they They're just like, so? Is it like a a bitter enemies thing, or is it like we like each other, but you know, yeah, you know, Australia will claim all New Zealand's actors and claim them as Australian and stuff yeah. like that. Is it the same for writers? Yeah, probably. Okay. Then you've got the sports where they're always um, battling cricket or football and all those kind of things. But lately it's because they've got the better prime minister. Thank you for being on the podcast. That'd be great. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Michael. Have a good night. If you want to support Lost in Translations, please go to patreon.com forward slash translations pod and all money there will help support the show. And please remember to subscribe and while subscribing, please rate the show. This will help others find the podcast. All our links to social media are in the show notes and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and let's see under translations pod. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wolgarukaba and Bindal people. We acknowledge their ownership of this land and all the traditional owners in Australia and acknowledge their care of the land. This is a Macaulay Flower production. <laughs>